everyone. We are moving into some really fun things here on the Boise Bubble podcast, um, including inviting sponsors who we really think can bring education and value to the Treasure Valley. So we would love to introduce our newest podcast sponsors. This is a team of real estate experts who specialize in helping people build wealth through real estate. And you might recognize them from past episodes of the Boise Bubble podcast. So Jesse Tapp is the owner of Waypoint Real Estate Group, and Bryce Gonzer is the partner at Fulcrum Home Loans. As a dedicated real estate agent, investor, and developer, Jesse understands the power of real estate as a wealth building tool. He's actually helping Shane and I move forward into purchasing some investment property. We've loved working with him, and we just felt like this was a really good fit. Jesse doesn't work alone. He has teamed up with Bryce Gonzer, a trusted mortgage lender who shares his passion for helping clients build wealth through real estate. If you follow Bryce and Jesse on social media, you know that they are all about education, and one of their main goals is to deliver free education to the market and to let you as the consumer decide what's best. So together, Jesse and Bryce are committed to helping clients achieve financial freedom through real estate. So whether you're a first-time home builder, looking to build equity in your home, or an experienced real estate investor looking to acquire and manage multiple properties, um, this team can totally help you develop a customized plan that aligns with your goals and helps you build wealth over time. So if you are ready to start building wealth through real estate, uh, make sure to reach out to Jesse Taft and Bryce Gonzer today. Their expertise and dedication to their clients make them the perfect team to help you achieve your financial goals. the Boise Bubble Podcast. Welcome back to the conversation. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. In this episode, we're speaking with September Frogley of the group Connection is the Cure. This local group's mission is to bring awareness to mental health and suicide prevention these two intertwined issues are affecting so many of our loved ones and neighbors. Just a cursory peek into the dismal statistics will show you that this is a new epidemic that touches every religion, political party, every state and city, age group, gender, and socioeconomic class level. It seems to be as indiscriminate as COVID. And in the wake of COVID, mental health issues and suicide are surging at a terrifying rate. This isn't something that's happening outside our borders. It's here, in our cities, in our neighborhoods, and inside our own homes. September's story is both heartbreaking and inspiring. We're amazed to see what she and her family have been through and how much impact they've had in the aftermath of personal tragedy. Their organization is a powerful local hub of resources and support for those struggling with mental health issues or thoughts of suicide those grieving from the death of a loved one, and those who want to help the ones they love, who are being crushed under the weight of their struggles. We encourage you to visit their website, bookmark it, save the numbers in your phone, and if you're so moved, get involved with the effort, because the numbers undeniably show that at some point, each of you will either wrestle with the burden of mental health and suicidal thoughts, or have the crucial opportunity to support someone close to you. When that time comes, you'll want these resources. We first learned about Connection is the Cure last year when we attended their annual event at the Idaho Center in Nampa and have been eager to speak with them ever since. We're honored to share with you this conversation and spotlight this amazing local cause. 
So join us for a conversation with September Frogley of Connection is the Cure. September, thanks for coming to talk to us today. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Yeah, um, I know that we recently came out of Mental Health Awareness Month. I work for a construction company, and so part of our safety focus this year is mental health awareness in construction. And as I started putting together some of the resources for our team, I was floored by some of these statistics and some of these numbers, and that's just within my industry. I can't imagine what you and your group is seeing. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty alarming when you start looking into the statistics and the resources available and what's out there and how little we understand and know about mental health compared to our physical health. And there's such a big focus on physical health, but it's really all one, yeah. you know, you can't have one without the other. Oh, yeah, they absolutely do bleed together. Mm -hmm. um, there are some pretty cool resources uh, resources out there that I discovered, but I don't really want to dig into those quite yet. I would like to know a little bit more about Connection is the Cure. Mm -hmm. Tell us about your organization. Yeah. yeah, so we, our organization is Connection is the Cure. We're relatively new within the last few years to the Valley. Um, our organization was born out of grief and loss. Um, I lost my younger brother, Robert, to suicide on May 9th of 2021, which our two-year anniversary is just around the corner next week. And um, he had a lifelong battle with his mental health. And um, I think when we were growing up, there just wasn't, a, there was even less awareness and less resources. Um, and, uh, you know, I think I watched him. You can only carry that for so long before you start looking outside of yourself for ways to numb that. And um, it led into uh, years of addiction and um, ultimately we lost him to suicide and it was um, heartbreaking and you felt hopeless and helpless and you just, um, you use so much of your time and energy wondering how, how did we get here, you know? Um, that it's so hard to focus on how can we help. And ultimately, um, we, we as individuals don't have the power to fix it or save someone um, because, you know, there's choice involved on the other person's part. But I just, we couldn't, um, I think the biggest impression I got after losing him was we had to talk about this. Like that was going to be, the best solution was just to share our story. Mm. And um, that was really empowering. And as we started to take those steps forward as a family, um, just doors started swinging wide open. And our community is something special and amazing. Like we've put together these big community events where we're inviting people and resources. And you know, our main goal is to connect people to people and people to resources and um, build that connection as part of our foundation as a community. And so many people are being affected by this that I think um, when I started, when we started this, I thought, oh, this is just my opinion that this is important because I've been affected by it. But now I see that it's fact, it's not my opinion. Like we need this in our community. And so many people are willing to step up. They just need an ask. Um, yeah. People don't know what to do, you the, know? I feel like the numbers are yeah. very clear that yeah. this is not, uh, a series of isolated incidents. Mm -hmm. This is a this is a prevalent problem that so many families are dealing with. Mm -hmm. You mentioned your events. I think that that's the first time that uh, that, that I became aware yeah. of your group was this last year uh, when you had the massive event over in Nampa. Mm -hmm. That was great. Yeah. 
so many awesome yeah. stories and so many people. Um, yeah, the energy in that room was mm-hmm. pretty electric. Mm-hmm. I think what I loved about that event, um, I went to your first one, I believe it was your first one, but I think when you go through something like this, and I've had a, a little bit of experience with this, is that you do, you're consumed by grief, but also guilt. Mm-hmm. And I think that guilt is, is, uh, is you no one preps you for that of like going through every moment of what I could have done different, um, what I could have done to stop that. And so you, you kind of tuck into yourself and you could see, uh, and I've continued to see in your, in your organization that people want so much to connect with that, that grief so that they can start to heal. Um, because um, it can be so all-consuming. It's really ironic because as we're prepping for this podcast, a friend of mine literally messaged me today because his friend committed suicide last night, and he doesn't a couple, know. A couple of nights ago. Oh, a couple of nights ago. He, they, um, he committed suicide a couple of nights ago, and he doesn't know what to do with his grief, and he just wants to sit with someone. He just needs to sit with someone, and, and so I'm going to meet him this afternoon and I've been thinking about what can I say and there's nothing to say all we can do is is connect with each other and um and I think this is such a this is such a a story of humanity and yet we haven't we haven't really given a playbook of how how to deal with this but also how to maybe have some actionable steps to avoid it. And I love that you're coming at it from both angles. I was thinking about what you said earlier that when your family started, there were not a lot of resources. And I don't think that there have been a lot of resources until recently. And I wouldn't even say that there are a lot, but I mean, think about our parents or our grandparents' generation. I don't even think that not only did they not have resources, they didn't even have words or concepts to talk about some of these things. I think that it has been generations to get to the point where we even have the vocabulary to start communicating. I'm kind of interested, I mean, you've got personal experience and now you've got a community of a ton of people that have gone through something like this. How do you, what would you encourage somebody to do who's trying to support someone who's maybe, um, who has a loved one who has recently, you know, passed away? Um, How do you, because like you said, when you look at that, that grief, it feels like really big. And me as a friend, I feel really intimidated by that. And, and my words are trite. I don't know what I could possibly say to m- help this person carry that burden. What would you say to somebody like that? So I think we overcomplicate it. And I think, Natalie, like you said, um, just to be able to sit with someone and be there for them, I think that's the main thing. And I think the worst thing to do is to not say anything, you know, and even being vulnerable and saying, listen, this is really hard. I don't, I don't know what to say to you to help you feel better, but I just want you to know I'm here for you. Um, and, and sitting with that person. Filling the space. I think there's some things you could say that aren't the yeah. best thing. Yeah. Like I, um, <laughs> I know this, ha- this, it, it's not just with, I mean, this was with any grief, you know, with, with death or uh, miscarriage. Um, there are some things that, that I hear that I'm like, don't, don't say that. Like, don't say things like, oh, it's, it, it, it's hap- everything happens for a reason. That, that does not make anyone feel good. That makes you feel good. It makes you feel better because, oh, I've said this platitude or, um, you know, uh, God's will. No, don't say that. Like, 
you might feel that way, but don't push that on someone else. Or, yeah, um, at least. You know, any at least. I, I think I don't know who taught these things to say, but all that does is separate you from that person or pushes them away. And, um, you know, I've had people say those kind of things to me, and and I think you're not you're not looking at me, you're not hearing me. You're trying to make you're trying to comfort yourself, and uh, I think that um, there. I love that. Yeah, you might just need to you might just need to be the connection. Um, where they feel less alone. It's not gonna fix anything. Sitting with it, the idea of, I just have to feel this immense burden with you for a little bit. That's, that's what you can do, is sit and feel that discomfort. Mm -hmm. Sometimes in silence, I'll bet. Yeah, and it, it definitely lightens that load. And I think the other thing, like you were saying, like there's certain things that maybe you wouldn't wanna say because those things push that person, especially with suicide, like a suicide loss, further into the shame and, um, you know, the stigma that they feel from losing their family. Because not only are they feeling like maybe they didn't do enough, because I, I know I felt like that, but also like the stigma or the shame of feeling like my brother wasn't weak or he was too weak to withstand what he was going through and he had to like... Um, take the easy way out or something, you know, and I think that we're definitely getting away from that when it comes to suicide, but that has been a stigma, you know, with suicide. And so being able to, um, like, get away from that, get, getting away from pushing people further into shame and guilt and stigma. Yeah. You also focus, uh, obviously, we want to talk about dealing with it on um, on the other side, but the goal is that it never happens. Mm -hmm. um, what have you been learning um, just in this journey uh, that maybe people need to know that that you you know was new information to you? So I think the biggest thing with suicide awareness and prevention is um, it is not like an intuitive thing to talk about suicide. Um, and there is a huge stigma, especially with among parents and, you know, when it comes to parents and their teens and that relationship. Um, us as parents, we have an intuition, right? And we have this, this insight into each of our children. And we can tell when something's off or, um, but because it's hard to talk about, I think we tend to um, shy away from those difficult conversations sometimes thinking that if we mention things that have to do with suicide or have to do with drugs or have to do with, you know, any of those hard topics, that we're going to plant those ideas in their head. And that is not, that has been proven through a lot of research to do with suicide, that that is exactly the opposite of what you want to do. Like being very direct in those questions. If you're suspecting that something is going on with your child that has to do with them wanting to take their life, then the direct, the more direct you are, um, the better off that conversation is going to go. Because people are caring, like when they are feeling suicidal, that's a huge burden to carry. They're feeling totally isolated, totally alone. And to be able to have someone ask directly, are you thinking about killing yourself? It, it gives them an opportunity to release that yes. pressure a little bit. And right. Yes. And it's I not, am. the question isn't, are are you thinking about hurting yourself? Are you thinking you have to say, you know, be as direct as you can. Um, and that's like the biggest thing that I think I've learned 
to open up that conversation as I've dived into, you know, trainings and different things, which is, I mean, even in trainings, when you're practicing talking with someone, like, it's hard to say, you know? That is interesting. When you say that, the difference between are you thinking of hurting yourself and are you thinking of killing yourself, Mm -hmm. that feels really different. Like, hurting yourself, if you're thinking about, are you thinking about killing yourself, Mm -hmm. but you say hurting, it's almost like you're, you're not willing to talk about it. You're not willing to look at it in the face. That's awesome. Mm. I had this conversation with a family member where I did have this conversation, and I think I did it wrong um, because I asked this very close family member, um, have you been thinking of, of killing yourself? And um, she replied, yes. And I immediately went into, do you know the, what that would do to our family? And um, do you know how much it would, you know, just destroy, uh, you know, your siblings? And and I could see right away, like, that was not taken the way I wanted it to. But I didn't, ha- I didn't know what to say um, because I didn't know how to respond to. I think <clears throat> I wasn't expecting to hear yes. And I, I so I, I knew that as, um, you know, her her relative, I should have just been able to be strong and seen her, but immediately I felt myself, <clears throat> my own terror and anger and um, and guilt. And so at that moment, I didn't make the right choice, but I, didn't, I, I still don't know, you know, we've talked since, but there's some moments that you never get back. You know, you never get back when a child tells you that they're gay. You know, you have that one moment that they will always remember, and if you handle it right. And and now I think back, I didn't handle that right, but I I didn't know what to I didn't know what to say. I don't know if you have any thoughts. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I feel like you know the phrase throughout this whole thing that's come up a lot is like when we know better, we do better. Mm-hmm. And I think that is one of the biggest things. Like our responses to these really scary, hard situations, like it's easier to kind of turn inward and be like, look at how this is going to affect me and how this mm-hmm. is going to affect us. But when you look at like the top three reasons that people die by suicide, it's like a lack of belonging, feeling like a burden to their loved ones and a lack of connection, you know? And um, when you look at those things, um, I think that if you think of your response as the opposite of those things, you know, like, mm-hmm. like, um, you know, helping them to feel like they're not a burden, like we're a team, we can do this, like what, you know, what is our next step? Um, I think that's important, but but that's that's the thing. I think that this is going to be happening more and more in within our communities, within our families, within our, you know, any other group that you're spending a lot of time with. Um, and so we have to, we have to know better, right? Mm-hmm. Like we have to seek um, we have to take the action to seek the education and the knowledge that we need to respond the right way, you know. What do you think the response would have, you know, should have been? I think back now, I guess I, I think, I, I wish I would have said, I, we can't let that happen. Mm-hmm. You're too important. What if you started with, <coughs> sorry, just the way that, no, that, I, I, m- I'm, that I'm my mind my, my thinks is I think that person is hurting. If they're mm-hmm. to the point that they're considering killing themselves, 
then just like you said, September, they feel like they're a burden. They're feeling pain. They're feeling overwhelmed. I have to say something that doesn't add to their pain, add to them feeling overwhelmed, add to them feeling disconnected. And so maybe it's something like, I'm so sorry that you feel that. That sounds awful. And I just want you to know that you don't have to do that on your own. I'm here for you. Yeah, and another big thing that as far as like the education goes that like I've been able to gain through this process is um, I don't want to say like like because you want to be there emotionally for them, but there's also like a side of it that is logistical, you know, so asking like if the answer is yes, like do you have a plan mm-hmm. and what can we do to disrupt that plan? So if it's like, yeah, I have a plan. And can you tell me, you know, and then being able to, if it's um, whatever specifically their plan is, like taking that um, away so that they can't, you know, use that as a means to die. Um, And then kind of go, and if it's like, no, I don't have a plan, I just have been thinking about it a lot lately. Um, And then the emotional support, you know, comes in where it's like, okay, like, let's, let's, what, what are your thoughts? What are you, you know, being able to have that communication, like you said, letting them know that you're there for them and that there's no judgment. You're just there. September, has there been any study or research into root cause analysis? If someone finds themselves in this position where they're feeling so desperate, like the blanket term mental health feels very broad. There's like there's depression, then there's clinical depression. There's feeling alone, and then there are an array of psychological conditions. Um, there's home conditions. Like there's a lot of things that are causing this person, you know, uh, to get to where they are right now. And it feels like the solution would be to start hitting it at the root cause. Has your group seen any patterns or trends or I don't know what I'm trying to say with that, but I mean. Well, I don't know. I, I'll, I'll go here because it's, I think it's kind of like that foundational level that you're kind of talking about. And, and I think that's what we need to, to work on the most with anything that has to do with, uh, mental health and addiction and, um, suicide. The, as, as we've talked to a lot of the mental health professionals in the Valley and different resources, like they're also drowning because people are waiting to get help until it's like ER status, you know, like until they just, Things are so bad that they can't handle it anymore. So then the mental health professionals are are just drowning as well. You know, they they want to do like I, I envision it like a river. You know, they're standing in the rapids trying to pull people out of the rapids. But no one is upstream doing like the per- I mean, Keep, I wouldn't say people, no one keeping people out of the river, right? Keeping people out of the river in the first place. And they want to do the prevention as well, because that's all part of their mission and goal and in their profession. But they can't do both. They can't be in triage and be doing as much of the prevention. So I think that's where the community needs to really come in. And um, for me, because I, I'm not a mental health professional, you know, um, going back to the, the connection piece and really trying to build connection into our communities and build that prevention into our communities, um, I think is going to be the thing that's going to change it. And I have so much um, trust in 
our kids' generation to be able to really, like if we can lay that groundwork as parents in our generation, um, I think our kids will come in and just take it over. Because um, I think as a society right now, we there's been so many things that cause division in our society. And if we can kind of step back from that and focus more on connection and humanity as a whole, it doesn't really matter what choices other people are making um, as far as, as their personal lives go. We need to come together and realize we're all on the same team. And that's, I think, what's going to build that foundation. Um, I love what you said about the division, or at least uh, our state of division in our country these days, and definitely in our state. But um, I saw this awesome TikTok the other day with this guy at this conference, and he told this religious joke. And I'm not going to rehash the entire thing, but he walked up to a guy who's on the bridge thinking of jump, you know, jumping off, and uh, they start having this conversation, and they learn, oh, look, I'm a Christian, you're a Christian. Oh, I'm this type of Christian. Oh, cool, I came from this place. And, like, their level of commonality was so huge until, like, th the differences became so minute and whenever they became a parent, the guy just said, die, heretic, and he pushed the guy off of the bridge because they – sorry, that might be too abrupt, but, like, the point being that we see so much division and we are absolutely o overlooking the huge territory of common ground that we have, the humanity, the need for just tolerance and a little bit of grace. Well, I think I'd love to dig into that a little bit because, um, as we were talking a little bit before – I'm not sure people realize um, the statistics of teen suicide in Idaho that we are pretty much always in the top five states. Um, and there has to be some reasoning with that. <coughs> and Idaho is extremely um, divided in many things. Um, but we were talking a little bit about, you know, we have this, we have a whole generation that we honestly have no idea what they're, what they're going through. We cannot. They were born into a world of the internet and of being connected to every single other person, comparing themselves to every single other person. They were born into a world on fire, like almost literally, like they, they were born into climate, um, climate, chaos and, um, you know, COVID and everything. <clears throat> and then we also have a state where um, we are doubling down on what is okay for an identity. Right? What is it okay to, for defining yourself? And we had discussed a little bit before that you're also seeing that so many of um, these teenagers who have chosen to end their life do that because their sexual or gender identity does not match what their society is telling them is is okay. And I know that's a really hard topic for people. At the same time, I don't care about offending people if we can save children. That's my personal thought. Are there statistics, uh, statistics and numbers around this? Yeah, I think, I think if I... Don't quote me on this, but I think that, and this this number probably has gone up in the last handful of years, but um, I think that um, teens that are struggling with their identity or their sexuality are eight times more likely to die by suicide than um, another teen. So yes, I think it is 
is an issue and is an issue in Idaho and is an issue across the country. Um, and I think that going back to like saying the wrong thing, we're doing a lot of the wrong things that are, that are playing into um, more stigma and more shame surrounding that. But I think, like I said, when you stand back and um, so I think like when I think of it from my perspective, um, the more time that I'm focusing on making meaningful connection, whether that's with myself or with people around me or with whatever I believe in that's bigger than myself, um, I have less time to focus on the differences and more time to focus on the similarities. And it literally changes the way you see people. Like it changes, you're looking through a totally different lens. Like I look back over my life and I don't think any of us are free of judgment, right? Like we've all judged a situation at some time or another and, or maybe had those conversations like before having kids, like, oh, I would never let my kid do that. Mm -hmm. And then you have kids and you're like, oh yeah, yeah. totally eating Every my day. words. Yeah. yeah. So like same kind of thing applies. Like, you know, I, I've seen situations over the years where I've been like, oh, I would never, or I would do this in that situation or that in that situation. But until you're in that situation, you have no idea what you would do. So taking that kind of stuff like out of our mind, out of our vocabulary. And like I said, the more we focus on those similarities, like it, it just changes the lens that you look through. And you don't have a desire to judge because you have no, I, I've been in situations in my life now that I never thought I would be in. And, and then there you are, you know, and you're just hoping that you're received with love. And, um, so I think, um, it's so much deeper than I think how we react in that moment. It's like, you have to train and build for that moment. Like, like anything could happen. Like your child could come to you and tell you, you know, I mean, I, I had two brothers, my brother that passed and um, my youngest brother and my youngest brother is gay and he is married and has been married for years and he came out probably, it'll be 13 years this coming fall that he came out and um, I will say that there there is a part of you, there's a grieving process that happens with that too because um you have these like dr these uh what you think life is going to look like like I didn't have sisters growing up so mm -hmm. I thought like oh my brothers will get married and I'll have sisters and it'll be so great and you know just little things like that like but but letting those things die and then accepting a new reality and I think sometimes people don't ever get past that like how hard it is to grieve like some people never you know, move through their grieving process for one reason or another. But when you can start to like, um, and I don't, in my mind, I think I reacted okay when we, you know, were first, when he first told us, but his experience and his perspective in that moment could have been totally different. You know, he could have thought we reacted horribly. Like, mm -hmm. um, but I will tell you one thing that because our family dynamic growing up was one of love and acceptance. And um, my parents were like old hippies. Like we, I've lived in a teepee during the summer when I was little, like 
we were very, um, my parents just loved, they were a really good example of unconditional love, regardless of anything else. You know, we, we knew that they loved us. So there was never a, a question of, are my, are, are we still going to be a family? Are we still going to love each other? It was more just like, okay, we're going to, you know, move through this and kind of figure things out and, and not worry about what's to come in the future. But I was so, um, I think one of the first things, even almost 13 years ago that my thoughts were, was knowing, um, that there were probably times in his life that he was silently struggling with this, feeling like he couldn't tell anyone, you know, in his younger years. Um, and, wondering if he had had thoughts of like maybe I would be better off dead than feeling this way you know and that was one of the first questions that I asked him and in that moment I was so thankful that he was sitting there in front of me that he knew that we loved him enough that he could tell us and I think that these kids that are struggling with this they're obviously questioning that whether it's whether they really feel like their family wouldn't love them anymore or they're just in this state of, you know, it's, it's astounding to me um, that that would, it happens all the time, right? Like that they're questioning whether they're going to be accepted and loved, but like, it shouldn't be like that. Like it can't be like that. We cannot let it be like that. And like you said, we can't. Yes. Like, as humanity, yes, we can't. And whatever your belief structure is, because I know there's some people who like, you know, they've been taught forever it's not okay. But what's not okay, what's never okay, is for someone to think that they are not perfectly whole and valuable and welcome. That's the, that is who we should be. And, and I think what makes me angry is that we've made it political. Yeah. And I'm like, how dare anyone use this as a weapon to politicize humanity and and I keep thinking you know I don't know what my kids are going to go through you know I, I don't know and I know that they're watching the news and all I can do is say hey that is not that is not okay what that's what's happening and you are perfect however you are um and I think I don't think society as a whole is getting better I think we're we're starting to move in a, a scary direction. And so we have to bring it down, down to this, our individual families and communities and neighborhoods to say, hey, hey, I know the world's burning, but like, you're okay, you're safe. Whatever you're that, whatever direction you're going on is okay. And it's a heavy burden also, I think, to carry the responsibility of um, other people, like in any realm. And I think that when we truly let go of judgment and when we truly let go of, um, the things that we don't have control over, like this huge burden is lifted and then we just get to love people mm -hmm. and it's really cool. Like I, I just, um, and I understand that when people are really passionate about things, sometimes that passion can come across, and, and I think this is where the divisiveness happens, that passion starts to come across with, um, like, anger, you know? But when we're passionate about things, if we can keep the compassion in that passion, 
I think it flows and people don't shut off and they listen. So like if, if you're passionate about something and you've, you've come across angry, I think people just automatically kind of shut down. They're like, yeah, I'm not going to listen. Or you come like you come across um, like condescending or, you know, but but when you're passionate about something and it comes across with love and compassion, like people keep listening, you know. I don't think I've ever realized that compassion has the word passion in it. I want to learn more about where that word came from, Um, like a a passionate love. I I guess that seems so obvious, but I I think you're you're spot on in that. It just we we want to stand for something, but maybe we're we're not realizing that showing compassion in it is not weakness. It's actually strength. I mean, somebody who can be very passionate and and not judgmental in that that's really hard. It's a really hard thing to do, um, and I'm not sure where where those tools are coming from. I guess we just have to have them within our families. But yeah. were you saying something? No, I was just thinking about um, maybe pivoting to resources. Um, w- a, a woman in my company recently became what is it? I'm probably gonna botch it, but mental health first aid certified, and it's awesome. And she shared so many wonderful resources that she uh, that she got. She's part of, is it NAMI? Or am I saying it right? NAMI. And uh, she turned me on to it. Just go into their website. They have, I mean, it's almost down to scripts of how you can talk about some of these things. But what a wonderful course. Mental health, first aid certified. Just empowering you to be able to talk about these things with other people. Yeah, there is quite a few. NAMI's amazing. Um, the Speedy Foundation, I don't know if you guys are familiar with that at all. There was a skier that Jarrett Peterson that is from Idaho that died by suicide. Um, I think probably, I mean, it's been maybe 15 years ago and his aunt started a um, organization and they have so many trainings on their website for free. Um, and and they're like, they've grown huge and just... <laughs> they have been so supportive of us from the beginning too like that open arms like yes anyone that is welcome to step into this space like come we love you we want you here um idaho lives project is another really awesome resource so it's specific to idaho which is great because they're really up to date on what resources are available here but um it's funded through the department of education in the state of idaho i think so um they will come in and do a free training for any group that would like a training on suicide prevention and they'll tailor it to the group that they're giving the training to. So, um, different companies or, you know, religious organizations or coaches or, you know, and that's something that, um, we've been able to utilize. They have great trainings. Um, those are like probably the top three off the top of my head that I can think of. Now, when you say resources, be specific for people, because I don't know that everybody knows what that is. It's like, in my mind, I think resources are um, statistics. Sure, that's helpful. Um, But also dialogue, like the scripts. I couldn't believe how helpful the scripts were. It's like, hey, here are words that you can say. Um, And then other resources that I found is I found uh, NAMI had a list of um, of indicators, things that you can look for that might be indicators of mental health struggles or people that are feeling like they might uh, hurt or kill themselves. That was awesome. Alcoholism, abuse, uh, drug abuse, substance, um, and the list went on and on. So many things to look for. And I thought, holy moly, I had no idea that I should be looking for that. But yeah, that's what I think when I think of resources. What are you thinking of? Yeah, that's exactly like those three 
um, places that I mentioned have so much information <coughs> as far as that goes, like how we can help just as um, community members. Like I mentioned before, like when we know better, we do better. Like I think we are much, I, I don't want to say much more likely, like a lot of people know CPR, right? <laughs> yeah. Or CPR certified. I think um, we're more likely to come across someone having a mental health crisis than maybe someone who needs CPR statistically. Mm -hmm. um, so being prepared in that moment, you know, and that's what I think these, those top resources that I mentioned, it's like giving us an opportunity to be prepared and, and understand a little bit more. And like you mentioned too, I think it's so important to, um, to know across the board, not only to know how to talk to someone that is considering suicide, but um, one thing for us was huge is understanding the root of addiction. Like as I started to understand addiction more, you know, cause there were so many times where I would think with my brother, like you using these substances is ruining your life. Like you are wasting away to nothing. You can't be a, a good father or a good husband or a good son or a good brother while you're doing this. Why don't you just stop? You know, like this is so hard. And I think as I've learned more about addiction and the root causes of addiction and um, what that looks like. It's it's like to think that like just stop is like crazy. Can you summarize? Because I think that the, that people, including me, are, th are hearing this and thinking, what did she learn that made her look at that so differently? Yeah, I think, you know, like I said earlier with my brother's story, like you carry these heavy, heavy burdens. You struggle with your mental health. You feel alone. Like, you can only carry that for so long before you start to look outside yourself for something to numb. And I think that is probably one of the biggest reasons people turn to drugs and alcohol is because... Coping? Is coping and being able to um, function, you know? And um, I think when, when they discover that as a coping mechanism... And it's helping them to really, in the beginning, it's helping them to do things that they couldn't do before, just function, you know? Mm -hmm. um, it's easy to see how that progression takes place. And I think um, being, um, understanding that addiction and um, like substance use, um, you know, drugs and alcohol, it is breaking all stigmas like if we think of like the stigma we have in our head of someone that's addicted to drugs or alcohol like we may think of someone that's like homeless or we may think of you know and addiction is affecting people across the board it does not discriminate it is like it is banging down the front door yeah. i think about um when you say that the thing that popped into my mind was um i know that there are a lot of people that want to for, I think, good intentions. They want to prevent the outcomes. And so they want to prohibit. Prohibition must be the solution to that. But I feel like that overlooks the root cause of why are they going to that thing? They're going to that thing because of the burden that they're carrying. And, and that thing, it's not good, it's not bad, but it does help them to not feel the negative thing that they're feeling. So that's why they're going towards it. Taking that thing away is not going to change the negative feeling that they have. It's just removing in their minds a resource that they're using to solve their problems. Well, I mean, not healthily, for sure, but 
I just think that the focus of prohibition is in the wrong place. Like we need to be looking upstream it's, to something else. It's a erase and replace. Like you can't just take away, you know, like um, people that are going through recovery, um, getting off of that substance physically is only like the first step. You know, there's that physical hook to substances, which you have to like, you know, take that away. But if you don't get down to that root cause and replace it with something positive to, to deal with what's going on, you know, people go right back to using again. Mm-hmm. So yeah. but that's just a very, it's just, it's a simple answer. And I think we, we tend to do that. I mean, even with, you know, this horrific thing that's happening with, with shootings, um, you know, whatever, you know, there's lots that we can be, can be done, but we, we don't talk as much about, the obvious the why is this happening you know and whatever your thoughts are on guns and you know i i have you know that's a very complicated conversation but i keep thinking why are we not talking about why we are creating people in this state in our society and but then i think of course i know why because it is so complicated and then when you think about suicide and addiction um, Shane was sharing some statistics on how much higher suicide rates are in construction. Um, and then I was looking also in obviously the military and in um, law enforcement. Okay, well, that's an entire different thing of we've got a very masculine field and they don't feel like they can talk about their feelings. Okay, that's this whole thing. And then I had a, a friend who, who killed herself um, after she had had, um, she was three months postpartum. And she looked from the outside like the most perfect mother woman you've ever seen, ever. And we had no idea that even before she had her child, things were so bad for her. And then postpartum, and and then it was too late. And we, the stories are so complicated. And I think that overwhelms us because I don't know how to deal with my my veteran friend. I can't relate to his PTSD. I don't know, I can't relate to a lot of things, but what I do love about something that you've created is that you have um, you have a plan of, of some very simple tools of connection. And that's what I really like about what you what you've provided is that, yeah, we're gonna be so overwhelmed. There are some key elements of connecting with other members of hum- humanity that that unifies everyone. That do- it doesn't matter your situation; these connections can change and can help people feel less alone. So I love it if you can kind of explain some of this this that you've put together of of how to relate to everyone in your life. Yeah, so I think I think I mentioned this a couple times before, but I think we overcomplicate things. It doesn't have to be so hard. Like when we set out to do something, it has doesn't have to be something big. Um, I think we have bought into the delusion that like little interactions don't matter, um, but they do. I think the little interactions are what make the biggest difference. So um, one thing that we really have been trying to push and stress is. Um, we as humans are made to connect. It's like built into us. We have a desire. That desire starts the minute we're born and goes throughout our entire life um, and have that sense of belonging. And um, so so we're already built to do it. We've just forgotten, I think, because 
it is so crazy. The world is on fire. We've forgotten that we have this like built in thing that helps us survive, you know? Um, so, uh, the first event that we had, we had, um, and actually both events that we've had, we've had a speaker come up from Arizona that was a police officer injured in the line of duty, became, um, addicted to opioids for 10 years. And he's been in sobriety now for, or in recovery now for, I don't know, I think 13 years or something, but he had this thing called the take 10 movement and we've kind of adopted it with his permission. And, um, it's to take 10 minutes a day to make a meaningful connection. And I think that connection, like I mentioned before, it can be with other people around you. It can be with yourself. It can be with, um, you know, taking the time to meditate, taking the time to um, just connect with with whatever's bigger than you, you know. And um, so there's like a couple, a couple guidelines, I guess you could call them. I don't want to call them guidelines, but... Um, it's to make that connection face-to-face and to um, do something that alleviates a burden on that person or, or on yourself. Or um, I'm going to have to, like, have Natalie read them because yeah. she has a little I mean, card right there. Oh, here. My mind kind of went blank. So the Take 10 movement, it's take 10 minutes a day to make a meaningful connection. Make that connection face-to-face. Do something that alleviates stress listen to them and engage in conversation. And my favorite one is to leave them with a message of hope. And um, that message can look different, you know, but as I have tried in my life to dedicate myself to doing this, at first it was, I don't want to say hard, but it could be kind of like awkward a little bit, especially because I think I think when I first started doing this, it was more of that outward connection, connecting with people around me. Um, And now it almost seems like second nature, you know, just to a simple compliment to someone, a stranger. Um, Yesterday I went into teriyaki, is it teriyaki time? Happy teriyaki. Happy teriyaki, teriyaki, yes. Love happy teriyaki. Yes, so I went into happy teriyaki for lunch and there was a woman in there and she was very friendly and we smiled at each other but didn't talk and then later I was at Walmart and I see her walking down the aisle and I was like, Hey, didn't I see you at lunch? And she's like, yeah. And wasn't your name September? Like I remember you giving your name, you know? And I was like, yeah. And she was like, Oh, that's so funny. And we just kind of chatted for a minute. Was it the happy teriyaki over on Overland? It was the the 10 mile one. The 10 mile. Yeah. Yeah. But it's like, like in those moments, it, it was just like this little moment of connection or, um, I struck up a conversation with a lady in Sierra Trading Post the other day, which is like my favorite store. And um, then we had our our community event at the at City Hall. And she, she walked in the door and I was like, oh, are you here to volunteer? And she was like, no, I actually have a job interview. She said, I didn't know this service project was going on, but I'll come back and help you guys when I'm done with my job interview. And um, our community is smaller, I think, than we think it is. And it it was so cool because she came back and then um, helped us with this service project that we were working on with the city. And we got to tell her about what we were doing in our organization. And she was like, oh my gosh, this is so funny that I like met you in Sierra Trading Post and then I see you again. And, you know, these little interactions that we're having on a daily basis, like really do make a huge difference for people that are struggling. I love that you said that it's part of uh, like our needs, Mm -hmm. like our survival needs, because I'm wondering 
Is that a simplistic way to say why we're all just losing our shit? Because we need to drink water, we need to sleep, um, we need shelter. We don't throw in we need connection. And suddenly, and believe me, I work in social media, we are looking down at a world that doesn't really exist. Um, we are connecting um, shorter and shorter um, in response time. We are not, when we're ordering our coffee, are we looking at the person handing us that coffee? Are we looking them in the eyes? Are we acknowledging you are a real person? And I actually read a book just last week and I realized I was so guilty of this that I was not acknowledging every person that I had contact with and showing that I recognized them as a, another member of my society, that I made sure that interaction left them feeling good. Not that I left it feeling bad. You know, I'm not caring, caring, what's it? Karen, Karen in. <laughs> Don't know if this has become a verb yet. It is, I'm gonna make it a verb. I'm not doing that, but I didn't take a moment to whatever was happening in my world to acknowledge, hey, you're a person and I see you. And we have a whole generation coming in where we've lost that, that tool. Um, and that's such an easy thing though. It's such an easy thing to the person who's handing you your happy teriyaki to say, thank you so much, you made that so fast. And looking them in the eye and saying, hey, you are my, my neighbor and my peer and my equal and I value what just happened and I appreciate you. And, and then you walked away giving them just that, you fed both of you. Yeah. You fed both of you that connection. I've done that randomly at Happy Teriyaki. Okay. My Happy what Teriyaki lady, she's <laughs> awesome. Chris, she is so nice. Like when you were telling this story, I thought she's talking about Chris. This is so kind. And just by sharing one of these moments of, you know, yeah, you're this is a service transaction, but uh, you, I don't know, you've got a nice smile. I, I, I can't even re remember how we connected, but if I saw saw Chris at Walmart, I totally stop and talk to her. And yeah. it goes back to like focusing on the things that we have in common, right? Instead mm -hmm. of our differences. And um, I think it was last summer I was downtown Boise and I was talking to, you know, some of the, the people that are down there that are homeless. And, you know, I, I said, what, what would you, like, what advice would you give someone that just, you know, maybe wants to help but doesn't know how or um, how to, how to talk, um, you know, have conversation, have connection, have that. And um, he said, like, just look me in the eye and treat me like I'm, like I'm a person, mm -hmm. you know, and that is really what we want. And it doesn't matter. You can, you can compliment someone, you can, which it just sounds so little and cliche, but I think that's the, what we need to get back to. Like we, like you mentioned with the social media and stuff, like we have all these counterfeit connections, right? We have all these friends, we have all these experiences, but in those little interactions daily, like how do those look? Mm -hmm. yeah. And does your face show? I love this. My dad taught me this. Um, he always said like, well, this, he always wanted us to be gracious. That was the word he always used. And how he defined being gracious was that when people were around you, they felt better about the person that they were. And I took that to be, I need my face and my reaction to whatever you're saying, whatever you're doing, whatever you look like, to show acceptance and, um, and kindness, even if that thing is 
a little jarring. You know, you see people who have, uh, they present very differently. And I thought, I want to be the kind of person who s looks them in the eye and sees the person that they are and that they are, they are valuable and whole. And that sometimes takes some work. Like we, we talk so much about like authenticity and you need to be like so, you know, authentic and everything. That doesn't mean you have to show your surprise or show that maybe you, you don't understand someone. You don't have to show that so visibly. Be respectful for everyone's choices. And when they leave, do they feel like you're kind to them? That's an art and a skill that is hard and not developed, but it can change people. But I think it goes back to you can't have that love and understanding acceptance for other people unless you have it for yourself. Mm -hmm. So I think, um, and that's where that connection piece with ourself comes in because the more authentically we can connect with ourselves, the better we will be and the better we will show up for our kids, for our spouse, for strangers, um, you know, for coworkers. Um, and that, that was a huge thing for me through this process and I'm not done working on that, but taking a step back and realizing like, um, how I needed to work on, on myself and my confidence and, you know, because it's hard to say something to someone else if you're feeling all like self-conscious about mm. saying yep. it, yep. you know, so, so really showing up for yourself. Along that line, and I know we're, we're wrapping up, but I've been doing some studying a little bit just personally in about in shame research. I don't know if you've done, if you've gone into some shame. I, I was unaware um, of how when society really does, when you're brought up in a place of shame and you feel that shame on your own, whether that's you're not enough in, as a, a woman or a man or a a religious person or whatever that thing is, that the more shame you feel, often the more you judge um, and the more you're judging people because there is so much pain and hurt. And um, that really clicked for me, I think. And when I realized that when we can heal ourselves from the things society has told us is wrong about ourselves, the narrative that society has said, hey, you don't fit this mold perfectly, we feel that. We feel it so acutely. And sometimes when we feel that shame, we take that out on others and we're not available to be open. And I've noticed as I've been working on my own shame issues with especially motherhood, weirdly, um, it has opened up my heart to see people um, as they are. and. Um, and that's just my personal, what I'm trying to do, and I, I invite other people. If that's like, that's weird, I've never thought of that. Take a little bit of time and, and start doing a little deep dive into some of the shames, shame experiences you're feeling. Um, you might be surprised at, at what you discover. I think you're right on. You hit the nail on the head for sure. Obviously, you, um, you offer something incredible to the community. And as a member of the community and as a parent, I, I would just want to thank you for that because um, it gave me tools I needed. I needed and I'm going to need in the future. And I think, I think we're all getting to the place where we're realizing we've got a, a road in front of us. And I don't know what on earth we could be doing that's better 
than helping people feel safe in our community. And um, I know other people are going to be so interested in that. So can you tell them how they can learn more about you and, and kind of what's coming up in the future for you guys? Yeah, so um, we have our website, which is um, connectionisthecureidaho.org. And our website, we're, we're building and adding all the time different resources and um, any upcoming events that we have in the community. And we're putting together a um, kind of a subcommittee of, of professionals and people that are in different areas of the community um, as um, kind of consultants for Connection is the Cure, which is really cool because we, we have a lot of cool perspective. So we'll be highlighting, you know, those, those people and those resources. Um, we just came out with a newsletter. We had our first newsletter released on, I think May 2nd, um, which we'll be highlighting people in the community that are, that are working on building connection, professional resources. Um, so if, if that's something you would want to be a part of, you can enter your email address into our, um, website and you will get that monthly. Well, I'm not sure if it's going to be monthly, but um, that newsletter, also social media, our Instagram is um, connection is the cure with underscores. Mm-hmm. Um, so like all of our upcoming events will be there. And um, along with the larger community events that we've had, we plan to continue to do these smaller like workshops, um, you know, s- with a uh, kind of like subset groups like specific to parents or we're going to have one surrounding prevention for um, military personnel and first responders, um, kind of some of the uh, more high-risk groups in our, our community. And um, I think that that will be helpful because the big event is kind of to like bring everyone together and like create that initial connection. And then we want to follow up with like aftercare in our community and have a presence. So, um, and then also we want to be willing to be part of stuff other people have going on too. So if, if you have an event or something that is going on and you want us to come and um, share a message, like that's also been a great, a great tool. Um, the city of Meridian has been awesome. We've been collaborating with them on a lot of things. And um, so, yeah, we just, I mean, the future's bright. We have a lot of things and it's kind of sifting through everything and figuring out where we can make the most impact. Nice. Thank you so much. And and I, I like how you said you, you like to leave people with a message of hope. And so thank you for this one. Because I I feel hope I feel a lot of hope knowing that, that people are, are focused on this. So thank you so much for that. September, thank you for coming. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening. This is the Boise Bubble Podcast. Please subscribe to our podcast and leave a five-star review. Follow us on Instagram at the Boise Bubble. And for more information about our community, follow at Hello Meridian. See you next time.